to Colorado on a vacation. Um, my brother just got engaged on Thursday, which is a very, very big deal in our family. And we had an engagement party last night for him and our, my new sister-in-law, soon to be. Uh, just a lot of stuff going on. I don't know if you guys are in a season of life right now where it's just full and there's a lot going on in your life, but it kind of has felt like this past week for me has just been full with family stuff, fun stuff, good stuff, exciting stuff. And sometimes God gives us seasons of plenty. Sometimes he gives us seasons of scarcity. But I want to talk to you guys a little bit about this morning. How do we manage all of that? How do we handle the stuff on our plate together? So if you don't mind, would you pray with me as we jump into our message today? Lord Jesus, we want to come before you during this time. God, we are just so thankful for another opportunity to come together as a family of believers to learn from your word, learn what you would have to say to us today, and that you would be able to guide us in how to best live our lives, not just today, but every day. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for loving us first. In your name, amen. As I mentioned, uh, my brother got engaged this past week on Thursday night, and we just had an engagement party for them uh, last night, just last night, and um, we made a bunch of different food and stuff, and family from both sides came over, lots of friends, all that type of stuff, and my mom, she made something that has been near and dear to me my entire life. She made her chocolate cupcakes, which are very addictive, very damaging, very, very good. And I have a problem, and I feel like this is a safe place for me to confess my problem, but I have a problem where I really, really like to overeat a lot. And Afton can definitely vouch for that. It's an issue, a little bit. I like to eat a lot of food uh, whenever I have the opportunity to. And last night was definitely nothing different. Uh, I found myself eating and hanging out by the buffet line pretty much the entire night. We were hanging out at this party for about three, three and a half hours or so. And I definitely stationed myself by the buffet line the entire time. And there were uh, meatballs, and there was some veggies, and there was a whole bunch of nuts and candy and stuff like that, and these cupcakes. And sooner or later, I figured out I was eating my third cupcake, and I was thinking to myself, maybe this is too many. And then an hour later, I decided just to eat my fourth cupcake, because then it rounds it all out, and it's OK. And I felt like that was just not a good thing, but I am a little bit of an overeater, and I want to share with you guys an example of how much of an overeater I really am. It doesn't just happen last night. This happens on a regular basis. Back when I was in college, I, I used to pride myself on these nights that I would do, like a Thursday night or a Friday night, I would order some pizza, and uh, I would just kind of bunker down in my room and watch movies or whatever, but I could do a large Domino's pizza two chocolate lava cakes, an entire two liter of Coca-Cola, and I think you got a picture behind it. I used to eat this as a meal when I was in college, and I was proud of that. I feel like that's such a weird thing to say, because if you didn't know this, the human stomach can only handle about four liters of food, and that is stretched to its maximum capacity. That's like a gallon. So think about like a milk gallon. That's how much your stomach can hold when it's all the way stretched out. But it's not supposed to live like that. It's supposed to handle one liter of food at a time. And I used to do this. Like, I look at that. I get hungry. But I look at that, <laughs> and I just feel so bad about myself. I'm like, what is going on? I used to do this like maybe once a month, maybe whenever I had money in college, maybe less than once a month. 
But it was, it was a problem, man. And I wish, I really do wish that I could stand up here and tell you guys that is my past. It's no longer my present. But the reality is I still eat quite a bit of food. And I, I try to exercise quite a bit so I can keep it off. But I know one of these days it's going to catch up with me. And I'm going to have to really watch what I eat moving forward. And with that all being said, today's message has nothing to do with food which makes me feel great about myself because I don't have to talk about myself and my eating habits anymore. But I do want to talk a little bit about what is on your plate. You look at all that food back there, that is just way too much to put on somebody's plate. And every time that you might pig out or you might have a big meal, think about maybe a Thanksgiving dinner, I know I can't speak for you, but I know for myself, I don't feel good at all afterwards. I would eat this and then I would basically just go into a coma for about 10 hours, miss my morning class, and have to do homework for the rest of the day. That's usually was my routine back when I was in college. And whenever I have a Thanksgiving dinner or whenever you have just a big meal, our bodies are not designed to handle that amount of food or more food than we're supposed to have. Like I mentioned, one liter is the typical size your stomach should be. When it's stretched to four, it just doesn't work. But I have this theory in life that we have a lot on our plate that goes far beyond food. I have a theory that in our lives, we are very, very busy and we put a lot of things on our plate all the time. Our schedules are very full. I took some, I took some time this week, did a little bit of research and I found out that according to the National Bureau of Labor Statistics, I am correct. Let me read to you guys some of the things that happened in 2018 that Americans do to spend their time. Did you know 90% of Americans work eight and a half hours a day? Might sound pretty average. Sounds right to me. 80% of Americans spend two hours each day doing some sort of household chore. Laundry, mowing the lawn, um, could be plowing your driveway because winter is coming. But two hours a day, we typically spend doing some sort of household chore. 96% of us participate in leisure activities for five hours a day. Now, that one surprised me a little bit because I was like, I do not have five hours in a day to do whatever I want. And then I did a little bit of a dive and I realized, oh, that includes like driving and commuting. That includes taking your kids wherever your kids need to be taken to. That includes whatever you have to do in your free time, you're doing it. And we usually spend five hours a day filling our lives with things that just have to get done that don't quite qualify as work or don't quite qualify as chores. We spend one hour a day eating food each day, and 65% of us get eight and a half hours of sleep each day. Parents, it's the truth. I don't know where it came from. Maybe they're like including a bunch of teenagers. I'm not sure, because no, I know a lot of us out here are like, six hours would be amazing. But eight and a half hours is the national average, 60% of us. And I take a look at this chart behind me. I'm not sure about you, but I see a problem. We look at this pie chart, we look at all the hours in a day, and all of a sudden over here on the right, total time spent, 25 hours. Now, I'm not an expert, but I went to Burke High School. And one of the things I learned at Burke High School, there are 24 hours in a day. I figured that out. And I look at this chart, and I'm like, uh-oh, 25 hours in a day. And I think this is really interesting. It's symbolism, if nothing else, 
about how busy the American culture really is. And that's really making me think a lot because I do believe that we are a very busy culture. I think globally we become just a very busy civilization. That's just kind of how we've entered into the 21st century. And obviously it's not like all of these happen isolated or independent of each other. We overlap different things. We probably would include eating in our leisure time from time to time. We try to make things work. And usually when I talk to people about their week or their months, when I'm having a conversation with a friend, hey, how is life going? A lot of what I get is how people are becoming so and so creative of mashing their weeks together and making the time fit, if that makes sense at all. And I think that works functionally, but I go back to eating too much food. And I think what's happened to a lot of Americans, uh, just a lot of people in general, is that we have figured out how to stretch ourselves so wide to cover such an array of issues and priorities throughout the week, but is that really healthy for us? Because you know what? The human stomach is not designed to hold a gallon of food every single day. It's not. And I really believe that human beings are not designed to cram 25 hours of life into a 24-hour day. I don't believe we're supposed to do that every single day of the year. I really don't. To give you an idea of what I'm talking about, I've got a very high-tech illustration I want to share with you guys. Yes, this is a container. It did come from Walmart. We only get the best here at Three Timbers. I've got some really cool balls here. And what I want to talk to you a little bit about with this illustration is priorities. Because when it comes to how we spend our time, what I see up there is categories that represent priorities in our lives. I think that's really what it all comes down to. We will mash, we will tweak, we will bend over backwards in order to make things fit so that the priorities in our lives still continue to function and still continue to be maintained. And I think that's what we've gotten really good at doing. We've gotten really good at mashing together life so that priorities are maintained and sustained throughout our weeks. So I started thinking about that a little bit. This is not my own illustration. I copied it from somebody else. But I started thinking about it for Three Timbers. How would it relate to today's message? And I was thinking, there's really only time in life for one serious or most important priority. For a lot of us, that'd probably be family. For some of you, that might be work. For a lot of us, it might be God. It could be anything. But usually, in order to make your life fit, you only have time for one major priority. So we're going to have this wonderful little yellow ball represent our major priority. The one thing in our week that has got to be maintained. It cannot be ignored. It cannot be neglected. It has to be served every single minute of the day. Probably family, kids, something like that. Well, as long as you have your main thing in the container of your life, everything's good. Everything makes sense, but we don't live independently. We don't live on an island where we can only focus on one priority at a time. So then I started thinking, okay, well, we have a lot of little priorities that happen. You look at the chart behind me, and you do see a lot of small priorities up there. Sleeping, as much as it might sound, is not a huge priority to some people every single day. I know there are times where I get four hours of sleep. There are times where I get eight hours of sleep. I can make it work. Eating is kind of the same way. I can eat three meals a day, I can eat one meal a day if I really, really have to. But these are priorities that need to happen throughout the week in order for you to function and get around. So we've got these little ping pong balls here. 
that are going to represent smaller priorities that have to happen during the week, but they can be flexible around whatever your number one priority is. Are you with me on that? So we have our main priority, and we've got our smaller priorities. They have to happen, but they can work around whatever the big thing is. Whoa. That was for dramatic effect. All right, so we've got our ping pong balls in our container, and we are looking like things are getting a little bit full. But we always fill in more than maybe what we should. Life is always much more full than just a few priorities like what we have here. And from time to time, we find ourselves doing things that really don't have to be done in a week's time. We find ourselves doing things that might not have to be done more than once a year. Little things, things that might not take a lot of your time, two or three minutes of your day, but they still are small priorities that just, they have to happen, they just don't have to happen all the time. And these little things, I, don't, I won't speak for you, but for me, these little things seem to pop up constantly. They're all over the place. And I was thinking about, well, what is all over the place that is just always around you? Well, if you've ever been to a beach, it's surrounded by sand and you just can't get away from it. It's everywhere. And these little priorities, these little things that take three to five minutes of your time each day, I feel like that's sand because it's not a big issue, but it's stuff that has to get done. It has to be dealt with. Little itty bitty things, taking your dog out. Um, when Afton and I were in Colorado last week, unfortunately our dog was getting a little bit sick, so we had to take our dog out like every two hours. It's a little thing, but all of a sudden it became a big part of our day. Well, we have this sand here, and we got our container of life. We've got our main priority. We've got our little priorities in the ping pong balls, and then we've got a whole bunch of sand. And you look at that, we could maybe fill a little bit more, but that's pretty full. I feel like that's life. We have our one main thing, our non-negotiable. My kids, non-negotiable. Your spouse, non-negotiable. Your family is a non-negotiable. Your one big thing that cannot be neglected. And then we have our smaller priorities. Your job, your bills, taking care of your house, your ping pong balls. But then we have life that's just full of sand. These little itty bitty priorities that really don't mean a lot until the moment where they have to be done. And all of a sudden, I look at this chart, and I realize that yes, life can get so full that we are squeezing 25 hours in a 24-hour day. The Bible speaks to this, and I want to read a little bit to you. In the book of Jeremiah, God tells us, Jeremiah 2, chapter, or verse 25, God warns us, he cautions us to slow down. This is what he says. He says, slow down, take a deep breath. What's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyway? But you say, I can't help it. I'm addicted to alien gods. I can't quit. And I, I think about the American country, all of us. I, I think about how many of us are just running 100 miles an hour after maybe alien gods. 
That might be a foreign concept to you. What is an alien God? That might be a weird thing. Well, that's just, that's a foreign God back then. That was other priorities or other idols to worship in the Old Testament. But today we do the same thing. Whatever we prioritize our time has the potential, the temptation, if you will, to become a God or to become an idol in our lives. And I see here in the book of Jeremiah that the Israelites were going through the same type of thing that we're going through today, which is we are running as fast as we can to appease, to achieve whatever idol we've put in front of us. And here God is saying, stop, slow down. What is your hurry anyway? I look at life, I see this container. I see how full it can be with major priorities, minor priorities, and things that just happen from day to day. And I ask myself this question, how many of us are really pursuing what matters? How many of us are really pursuing what is eternal versus just being distracted by the regular things of life? Jesus talks about this in the book of Luke, and we're going to read it in just a little bit. But what he's doing is he's sharing this parable with a group of people, talking about how the word of God reaches your life. The disciples are there. But the whole point of this portion of Scripture is Jesus explaining that if our priorities aren't right, we will miss out on what God's message really is. And sometimes if life gets too busy... We don't have room to fit God in it. Check this out. We're going to be in Luke chapter 8, starting in verse 4 together. It says, While a large crowd was gathering, and people were coming to Jesus from town after town, he told this parable. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. Now it was trampled, and the birds ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground. And when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up with it and were choked out by the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. When he said this, he called out, whoever has ears, let them hear. You might be looking at that and you're like, Wow, that's really profound. What does it mean? That's exactly what the disciples were thinking. They were like, I have no idea what Jesus just said. And they come over to him right after he gets done sharing this parable and say, what are you talking about? None of us are farmers. Why do we care about where seed is thrown and where it's not thrown? And Jesus does something that's kind of rare because he doesn't normally explain his parables, but he decided in this instance to the disciples that he was going to explain exactly what he had just said. So we're going to jump down to verse 11, still in the same chapter if you're with us. Jesus says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed represents the word of God. Those along the path are the ones who hear and then the devil comes and takes away the words from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. Those on the rocky ground are the ones who receive the word with joy in their hearts, but they don't have any roots. They believe for a while, but in time of testing, they fall away. The seed that fell among the thorns stands for those who hear, 
But as they go on their way, they are choked out by the worries of life, by the riches and the pleasures all around them, and they never end up maturing. But the seed on the good soil stands for those with a noble and good heart who hear the word, retain it, and by persevering produce a crop. So he explains this. And all of a sudden we realize that, hey, the seed, we're not talking about just a farmer. We're not talking about just planting in a garden. No, the seed is the word of God and how it impacts your life. And what Jesus is talking about is literally life or death. This is the message of salvation. The word of God spreads out to the entire world and there are going to be many, many different people that hear it. Unfortunately, some people are going to hear it in bad circumstances. They're never going to be able to grow roots in their faith. So they won't be able to have a lasting faith. Some people might hear the word, but the enemy, the devil, he steals away the words so that it never causes any type of impact in their life. And then there are some people who they hear the word, but they are too busy with the riches, the pleasures, the things of life, and they never mature in their faith. This was written some 2,000 years ago. And yet I look around, I look in the newspaper, and I feel like this is speaking to our generation maybe better than anything else ever could. Because I see our lives. Very full. And I realize that many of us, even though we've heard the Word of God, even though we might be studying the Word of God, many of us have a hard time fitting Jesus into our lives because they're so full. Let me give you an example of what that would look like. Got another big ball. Now, if we are Christ followers, then we understand that Jesus has to be the number one thing in our lives. He is the Savior and Lord of our life. And I think we all would understand that. But what I've seen a lot, and I've been in ministry for about 12 years now, And I've seen a lot of people in the church, a lot of people right outside of the church who are strong believers, people that love Jesus, this is what I see them doing. They find out about Jesus and try to mash him in. They just keep pushing. And it doesn't work. Because you cannot add Jesus to a full life. Just, it doesn't fit. Are you guys with me? I think this happens a lot. There are a lot of people in the world that hear the word of God, that believe that Jesus really did live, that he really died for our sins, that he is the son of God, that he can conquer death and sin forever. And if we believe in him, we will not ever perish, but have eternal life with him. I believe there are a lot of people that know that and they do believe that, but a lot of people struggle because they have no room in life for Jesus. I really do think we have too much on our plates. I think 25 hours in a 24-hour day just doesn't work. And I get very scared because I see this ball trying to squeeze into that container, and it's just, it's never, ever going to happen. Jesus says it this way. In Matthew 6, 24, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. And that gets me really nervous because I really do believe you can only have one ultimate priority in your life. Now, we already have a big yellow ball in there. Yeah, you can kind of see it somewhere down there. There's only room for one 
giant priority in your life. You cannot serve two masters. You either love the one and hate the other, or you'll despise them, and you won't be able to accomplish anything. For many people that are trying to play church or trying to do Christianity, I think we struggle with this, where we try to live life with two ultimate priorities surrounded by a whole bunch of stuff that is good and important, but maybe it's not God. And I get really, really nervous about that because I believe that there are going to be a lot of Christians who ultimately they're going to have to say, this isn't going to be it for me. My life is too full with riches and pleasures, and I just don't have time for the Word of God anymore. It doesn't fit in my life. Well, if, if you're struggling with that, or maybe you've been in a situation before where you just don't feel like you're maturing in your faith, and that's happened to me many, many times, and I've had to take a look at myself in the mirror. I've had to figure out, you know, what is going on in my life that God is getting pushed out? And I, I want to encourage you guys. I want to challenge you with this. If you feel like you are living a very full life, and I'm not here to badger people that are living full lives. We all do, and it's a great thing. Life should be full. In John 10, 10, Jesus says he came to give us life to the fullest, which means, yes, life should be full. But if you feel like your life is too full for Jesus, and maybe you've been trying to shove him in for a while, a couple of months, maybe several years, you've been trying to push Jesus into life, and it's just not working, I want to encourage you with something that I've discovered in Scripture together. And it comes from Romans 12, 2. This could be speaking to you. If you feel like your life is too full and you can't shove Jesus in anymore, well, check out this. This is awesome news. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will know, you will learn to know God's will for you which is good and pleasing and perfect. And I see that verse, and that's one of the most exciting verses that you could ever read in the entire Bible. Why? Because it says, don't conform to the patterns of this world, but instead let God transform you by the way you think. God is in the transformation business. He's not in the behavior modification business. We are taught from a very young age to behave a certain way. To try to be the best version of yourself every single day and on the outside, if you're looking good, then everything's good. It doesn't matter what's on the inside. God is on a different path and he operates in the transformation business. He wants to get a hold of you from the inside and change you on the way out. I'm not gonna do it because it's gonna make a giant mess, but if I had the opportunity to do it, what I would say is this. According to Romans 12, 2, if you want to put God in your life, you cannot shove him into the container. You have to pour the container out. You have to start over, put God in the middle first. And then as you transform your life, which means creating something completely different out of once was, as you transform your life, it will be built with God at the center, as the yellow ball looks like. That's not an easy message for a lot of us to hear because that would mean that you have to take a very serious look at your entire life, at everything that's in it and say, is God in the middle of this right now? Or am I just trying to jam Jesus on top? 
A friend of mine, um, I've known him for a long time. We were roommates after college. I went to the same high school as him. Our families grew up together. Uh, his name's Nick. And when Nick was in high school, Nick was trying very, very hard to achieve his dreams of football. Uh, if he was living today, I would say become a kicker because we could really use it in Nebraska. That'd be awesome. But no, he was a quarterback. And Nick worked his way up the ranks. Uh, we went to the same high school together. Burke's a pretty big school, uh, a lot of kids. And he started out as a backup to the backup to the backup. And over each and every year, he worked as hard as he possibly could. And finally, his senior year in high school, Nick gets chosen to be the starting quarterback. And this was a huge deal because he wasn't a big guy. Nick was probably about 5'8", maybe 5'9 on a good day. He, he was shorter than everybody else. He wasn't as fast as everybody else. But he just he worked his butt off to become the quarterback. He practiced more than anyone else I ever knew. And he was in the weight room more than anyone else on the team. And he was so excited to finally get his shot to become the starting quarterback for our high school. First game in the first quarter. On the first drive of the season, Nick is scrambling, gets tackled, and breaks his collarbone. First play of the first game, first drive, horrible. He's out for the season. Backup comes in, way better. He can throw the ball. Nick couldn't throw the ball. Nick could pitch, which is great. I love him. He's a great guy. He's in my wedding, but he can't throw. And he's done. His whole season is over. This young guy, 18 years old, he has no idea what he wants to do with his life. He realized that he's been chasing a dream for 10 years, and that dream is done because he knows he doesn't have a future in college. He's just not big enough. He wasn't being recruited for that. And his dream of football was taken away. Well, some years later, Nick and I were roommates together. After I got out of college, we were living together. I was single. I hadn't met Afton yet. And uh, we had a house together down kind of midtown Omaha. I remember having these honest conversations with him about, you know, what was that like for you? And he said, honestly, it was the hardest time in my life because I felt like I had lost everything. I was so depressed. But he told me that in those months of surgery and then physical therapy afterwards, somebody got a hold of him and introduced him to Jesus. And he realized that even though he was a church kid and he'd grown up in the church, he realized that for once in his life, he had the time to devote to Jesus. He had an opportunity to spend time with God. For 10 years of Nick's life, from being just a little itty-bitty grade schooler all the way up through high school senior, Nick had devoted his entire life to football. But through that injury... Nick had all this free time, and all of a sudden people came into it and started talking about Jesus. And then he realized the person that he knew through the religion that his parents followed became the person that he could have a relationship with, not only now, but through eternity. And Nick's life changed forever because of that broken collarbone. And I think that's just the most incredible story in the world. And as, even as I say that, I would never, ever want any of you to get a broken collarbone because that's what it takes to transform your life. I would never want that for you, but I want to ask you these questions. We've got three things I want you to think about as we conclude our time today. And I'm going to ask the worship team to come on back up to the front. Number one, do you have too much on your plate, which means too many priorities in your life? 
Do you feel like you might be kind of like a Nick? Everything is about either one thing or many things, or you're running 500 miles an hour in different directions. Question number two for you, are you trying to stuff Jesus into your life's container? And if so, how is that going for you? And I say that with all humility because I am that person. I can't tell you how many times I have tried to push Jesus into my container and just pretend like everything else I was doing was perfectly fine and he could just fit on the outside. So I am right there with you on question two. And then question number three, what will it take for you to let God transform the priorities in your life? For Nick, it took a broken bone. For me, you might have heard my story before, but for me, it took 9-11. I needed thousands of people to die. I needed to feel very unsafe in my country I needed to be hit in the face with the reality of sin for God to get a hold of my heart. What will it take for you for God to transform your life? I would encourage you to think about these questions as we sing this final song.